Our reading this morning is Psalm 73, the Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs unto death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. And their tongue strikes like the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak of these I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakens, O Lord, when you rise yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Thanks for having me. It's always a privilege um, to preach, to, to spend time, really the, the fruits of our labor, just spending time in the Word. Uh, it's, it's not an excuse to do it, but it's a privilege um, and, uh, and time to sit with the Lord. And I've learned that as I've aged, um, I know I don't look that old, but uh, as I age, my daughter actually noticed the gray. She's like, wow, your beard's actually getting really gray. It's like, I guess it's time to shave. Um, Anyway, so, so the opportunity to come and, and to, to see God's word and to, to have a word for you and really for my own heart is encouraging. It really comes out of a heart really to do what I mentioned that I'm doing and helping encourage and facilitate. And I realize uh, some of our supporters back home when we were preparing to come, one of them asked me, well, who, you're going to take care of these guys and the churches and whatever, but who takes care of you? And uh, I thought, wow, that's quite a question. Um, and so I think that, you know, I, I lean on my partners, but also have learned to lean more and more on the Lord. So 
Uh, as, as, you, as I prepared in thinking of a passage um, post-Easter, you know, what do you preach after Easter? You know, it seems to all lean toward Easter, and now we're, we sort of check the Easter box, you know, we're done, we're putting maybe the eggs away, maybe still putting the chocolate away um, into our bellies. But, you know, what's life like after that? And I think, you know, one passage, of course, is like First Peter, right? Blessed are those, who, you know, the Father, Lord and Father, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, who, has, who has, you know, given us uh, born again into a living hope. So I thought about that, but then I came back to this passage where we find someone who is a church leader. He's the music leader for the church. Uh, he leads worship for the church. He's a very prominent person, uh, Asaph, and he wrote a number of psalms. But this one gives us a look sort of behind the curtain, off the stage, uh, as we'd say in the, in, the, in the southern United States, under the hood, uh, just about how faith works itself out. Uh, and oftentimes it's not always the victorious resurrected Easter. But in order to get a, get a handle on the resurrection and new life, we often have to go, like Jesus did, through death, through humility, through vulnerability, through struggle. And that, that happens, I'm sure, even the day after Easter. On Easter Monday, it sets in that I need the resurrection again. Maybe every day be Easter uh, in that sense. So I want us just to follow the path of Asaph. And this is probably like a journal writing. You know, Asaph is writing, and it's very vulnerable, and it's to the Lord. Um, because we find out midway through that he, would, he, he, he knew enough to say, I wouldn't say this in front of everybody. Um, if I had told this, we would have lost generations if I told them. Um, not that he didn't want to be vulnerable, but this is a, sort of a prayer journal. And so I want us to see four different things here as we work our way through that, about faith. Um, faith testifies to the God who is good. Uh, faith is tested or tempted by the good life. Uh, it tempts us. Uh, faith then also turns to a God who is glorious, the glorious God. And then faith finally triumphs or it, it trusts uh, in the gracious God. So we see right off the bat, the first verse, faith test, it's a testimony. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He doesn't spend any more time than that just to simply say, here's what I believe. God is good. We believe that, much like it's, it's his creed. There is no one who can deny it. His goodness pervades everything he does. <clears throat> oh, how good and pleasant is the Lord to those who are pure in heart. It's one who seeks after God, who learns from him, who sees him as Lord and God, who professes him. Asaph in his Psalms takes great care to show us a God who is acting in time and space, who is there for his people. So that we find Asaph declaring this, and then almost immediately he trails off. His faith is then tempted. Verse 2 through 15, it's a big bulk, and we won't reread it. Um, it was read very beautifully. This is a t temptation that faith has to begin to say, Am I sure? Do I have it right? Am I sure with what I believe? Is it worth believing? Is God really, it's as if he's saying, is God really good? I say with my mouth that he's good, but I really struggle with my thoughts and my heart that he's good. And how does that happen? Well, much like us, we start looking around us. We look at the watching world. We look at those who don't get up early to go to church, who don't spend their time 
really struggling with life and faith, and is this right, is this wrong, do I do this, do I do that? The real struggle and the meat, if you will, of faith. He begins listing. He says, you know, truly God is good, but for me. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He gets right into this, right into the, the crux of faith, sort of the crisis of faith, confidence and assurance shaking. He finds even the word here in verse 3, for I was envious of the arrogant, I saw the prosperity. That's the word shalom. Isn't that, a, isn't that a covenant word? Isn't that the word of God and his people that we find shalom? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, the place of God. Isn't that the city of peace? How can those who want, to do nothing, do not, want nothing to do with God be so healthy and wealthy and free? They don't seem to struggle. Do they have your blessing? Isn't shalom for us? Notice just a litany of things here. Death seems to be no bother to them. Their bodies are fit and tan. There's no trouble. No one's seeking harm. They're full of pride and malice, yet they have no issue or conscience about it. They speak and are heard on earth and in heaven. They speak whatever they want to say, when they want, with no recourse. Lives seem easy, increasing in health and wealth and whatever they put their hands to. Prosperity gospel would fit right in on this passage, right? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that the good life? Isn't that what faith is supposed to bring us? No trouble, no harm. Everything we want, we can do as we want, be free to live. Asaph is really in doubt. He's saying that it cannot be this way. And you almost hear him in his mind going, surely God is good to those who are pure in heart. Surely God, he's almost recounting verse 1 as he says, but God, you're not good. You're good to those who, there's a crisis. His creed is in crisis. He's, he's doubting. I want to say something to you that maybe you haven't thought of, but I think doubt is something only a believer can truly experience. That is a crisis of faith, right? You can only doubt what you believe, right? You don't doubt doubt. I mean, in some ways, one of, one of the men maybe you've heard of that's been used by the Lord, Tim Keller, used, he preaches about doubting your doubts. Why do I doubt what I doubt? <laughs> you know, sort of getting heady there. But Asaph and his faith are being tempted to believe and trust that, that that's the good life. Remember, Asaph is, is sharing, he's writing this. This is put in, God has inspired these words through Asaph's struggle, the things he was contemplating, believing and unbelief right next to each other against truth and not trusting God in his goodness and yet this good life out there. We hear the phrase, right, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. When have you found yourself there? Maybe you're there. When did it seem that the unrighteous, the unfaithful lot around you live without care or fear or distraction or harm, freedom? We wonder where God is in all of that. I thought, unfortunately, the world and the Christianity that has made its waves through the world has taught us that that's what it's like. That's what it's after. You get everything you desire 
And not that you won't, you actually get more, which we'll find what ASAP finds is way better. So what's the point in trying to live and do the right thing when those who don't thrive? Confidence, assurance, faith wanes, there's a crisis. Asaph goes further, surely, let's see in verse 13, it doesn't say surely, but there's a word there. Surely in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. He uses that word for pure in heart. Surely I've done that. I've kept my heart clean. I've done it all the right way and still don't have what they have. How can it be the wicked receive what seems to be the goodness of God? Seems so backwards. I've mentioned earlier the crisis for me of faith really was just a few years ago before coming here. All of my friends, all of others, I'd left sort of the pastorate pulpit ministry of preaching at a church weekly and running a church to go back to seminary to follow the Lord's call in some other way. Lord, what would you what would you want? So we go back to seminary and we find that the Lord is blessing us and we're learning so much and I'm being healed of a place that I didn't know needed healing. And I got to the end of it and I'm thinking, okay, help me discern, Lord, what you'd have me do. And yet my, my purpose and, and process in doing that was beginning to talk to all the people I know, to go back to, to my denomination, to go back everywhere and find things. Where could I work? What, what do I want to do? Lord, you've, you've prepared me. I, I've, I felt like Paul in Philippians, you know, a, a covenant child, right? Born under the covenant, baptized early, profession of faith was a model student, went to a Christian high school, went to seminary, went to become a preacher, went to seminary the second time, right? You notice I wasn't saying this, but this is what is going on. I think, Lord, I couldn't be better prepared to serve you than right now. And I had 16 months of nothing. No calls, no job. The job I felt like I was dead on for never a call back. Oh, man, I get chills. I mean, I was at a low place. Really was. I thought, and, and I got to the place where I think Asaph eventually gets in the place that I should have started. Lord, what would you have for me? Right? Forget the expectations. What do I want to do? Lord, what would you want me to do? Coming to him with expectancy, not with my expectations. If we're honest, we have to admit that for most of us, this innocent suffering remains sort of a purely academic issue until we become (laughs) what we feel like suffering innocently. I'm thankful for Asaph and his battle, for other battles of those I've known, for my own. He isn't standing before the congregation proclaiming that we've all got it wrong or some rally against a, a God who is... Not there. He may be experiencing doubt and disdain, but it wouldn't be right for him to lead God's people there to the same ditch. So what does he do? He turns to the place where he can only go. But when I, verse 16, this is the, sort of these two verses, the turn here. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Even as I've shared it, it seems wearying. If you've been here, if you've felt this, if you have dealt with this in a crisis of life and faith, you know 
Weary is not a good enough word. Like he said, it's wearisome. It's, it's leading me beyond weary. Until. What a great word. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. He wanted understanding. He ended up with discernment. Doesn't God always give you more than you expect? Now, just to say about sanctuary, I, there's not a lot said about it except to say that it's in the presence of the Lord. I don't think this means going to church, although go to church. <laughs> Come back. Be with God's people because then you can, you can wrestle with these things together in a place that you can say, yeah, me too. You too? Oh, me. Well, that makes me feel better. And we're in this together. Let's pray together. Let's, let's come back to the Lord. Until he finds the sanctuary. He wasn't going to find answers. He wasn't going to come to an end. It would be continually wearisome. Did he not turn back to the Lord? This is someone who's in faith. There's a believer. He doesn't struggle alone. He found himself steeped in envy and jealousy when he took his eyes off the Lord onto the ways of the world. He had to re-enter the sanctuary, refocus on God. He had to do business with God, who is good. And that's what he finds. The real remedy is not out there. It's, it's with the Lord. It's inside he couldn't keep looking to the world for relief from a spiritual issue. Right? What do we go to when we find these real doubts in our soul is just at, it's aching? We know what the world does. We often know what our brothers and sisters in Christ might do. I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to have that affair. I'm going to drink. I'm going to eat a lot. I'm going to run a lot. Right? It's good and bad. There's, there's no sort of evil there. It's all that way if it's not in the Lord. It's what Calvin called, John Calvin called the, the, an idol of the heart. Our heart is an idol factory, just pumping out idol after idol. If it's not the Lord, it's something else, someone else. Where do you go with your crisis of faith, your doubt, despair, envy, jealousy, covetedness? Where do you go? To whom can you go? Asaph finds a cure for his weariness in the glorious reign of God who sovereignly controls and reigns over all things. Truly, you set them, verse 18, in slippery places. You make them fall, how they're destroyed in a moment. Like a dream when one awakes, so oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise this of them as phantoms. Just a mist. What, what Asaph thought was the good life is really no life at all. It's death. It's a phantom, just a mist. As Ecclesiastes tells us, just a vanity, a mist. He finds eternal perspective. He discerns their end. And so he begins to turn back to what he believes. His, his creed is being persuaded again by the, the sovereignty of God. Lord, they're not in control. I'm not in control. You're in control. And it just recenters him. It, it puts him in place and it humbles him. The good life is fleeting, gone in an instant like a dream. 
with this new vista, if you will, this new reality on life from God's perspective, a deeper faith perspective, what do you expect Asaph to do? Haha, <laughs> you thought you had the good life. Right? You don't have nothing. Right? I'm going southern on you here, you know. You need the good life. You don't have it all. You see, you're not really happy. He doesn't even do that. He leaves that what? To the sovereign Lord. You're the one that takes care of them. I don't have to worry about it. But what does he do? He comes to confession. Oh, but God's grace, me too. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant like a beast towards you. He knows what the Lord does to those who aren't pure in heart, those who live the good life, those who live life without the Lord that seem like it's all good. He begins to say, what about me? My envy and jealousy my doubt and despair, my turning from you to think that's where life is. Oh, I'm, I am a beast toward you. Oh, how arrogant. Ignorant. He's humbled. And when you're before a holy God who's sovereign, that's the only place you got <laughs> is to fall down. Humility. Much like David in Psalm 51, right? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly and cleanse me. Psalm 121, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where else does my help come? It comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Asaph has gone from creed to crisis to centering. And finally, he's comforted. Faith trusts in a gracious God, not the one who will smite him. And so we find that right after confession, my favorite word in this psalm, nevertheless. As you read it, you paused here a little bit. Nevertheless. Forget, forget it, forget that. He blots out our transgressions, he forgets them. As far as the east is from the west... He confesses, says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me. You hold my right hand or you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Do you see where it leads him? I thought I wanted all that, but all I need is you. And if all I have is you, it's all I need. My heart, my flesh, they may fail, but God is the strength or the rock of my heart, my portion forever. He's getting on rock steady ground again. God, behold, you are good. Purify me. Can take my heart and my contrition and, and bless it. Make it yours. Reclaim that territory that I've given to idols. As he came into the sanctuary, the sanctuary, if you will, came into him. The Lord's presence was, was all over his eyes and his heart and his body. God's not sleeping at the wheel. Romans 8 just pops out, we'll never leave or forsake you. 
God is always with us. And, and you must know if, you, if you're allowing yourself to doubt and despair and to find yourself there and not just, don't just shoo it away. Nope, good Christians don't doubt. You know, Christians don't struggle. Christians don't, you're, you're believing the same lie that somehow there's a better, like a good life. The crux of faith is right here. This is the crucible. What do I believe when I doubt? Where do I go when I struggle? When I'm empty, when I'm weary and I'm tired? And I want answers. He says, do not fear for I am with you. And the, as they say, the penny drops as it should for us. Lord, all I have is you. Behold, and then he sees, he discerns, not in a way of judgment, but to say, Lord, if you're in, for behold, those who are far off from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who's unfaithful. May I not be there. But it's good for me to be near God. I've made the Lord my refuge, that I might tell of your works. God is capable. He takes all our failures and our floundering and we find a God who fortifies us. How can he be a refuge for you if you're not shaking or falling? Right? That, that's how you get a refuge. I need a safe place because this is hard. If you're struggling, you're right where you need to be. Maybe Dave can come change that or something but I don't think so right that's where you need to be we're not perfect no one is C.S. Lewis says we can be left utterly and absolutely outside repelled exiled estranged finally and unspeakably ignored on the other hand we can be called in welcomed received and acknowledged where are you May you find refuge in the Lord today. We find Asaph who went, but as for me, I found myself slipping. Slipping in comments, assurance of faith. And then we see it in the, in the, verse, the last verse, but as for me, same words, but for me, it is good to be near God. May he be near, near to you today and always. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in our journey of faith, and doubt, it's hard to believe that it, in some way we'll find our way back to delight. But we do. And that's only because you are good to us. You are glorious. You're in charge of all things. And yet your glory came down in your son Jesus in glory and in truth. We may see him face to face one day. So we all receive glory. Father, thank you for your grace that it might bolster us, that we might find refuge in our time of need. Amen.